where they like don't find fingerprints at the scene because you're like covering up your fingerprints with some sort of plastic, <laughs> like uh, crime. <laughs> I know, I uh, know. I have been actually into reading golden age mysteries, and it's really fun because you they're very they were very creative in the twenties and the thirties, and it's just, sure they were. Yeah, it, it's and I'm reading authors I've never heard of, so it's like really fun because it's sort of expanding, you know, more than my normal murder mysteries that I usually read. Um, it's and No, that's great. That's great because, I mean, you know, there, there's some great stuff and it's 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 nice to be able to, um, uh, you know, have access to that and, and, and read things from the past and really get a, you know, broaden your, your literary horizons and appreciate what was done, you know, say a century ago. Yeah, and it is a, it is a century ago. <laughs> yeah, just about it. Yeah, it is a century ago. Kind of scary to think about it in those terms, but it is because it actually starts right after World War One, because that's what uh, and after Spanish flu. Between those two, that's really what caused it all that misery and sadness. Uh, yeah, maybe and, the hundred, in a hundred years they'll be talking about maybe my my books, right? <laughs> I don't know if they'll be talking about them. Hopefully, someone will, but. <laughs> dreadful happens uh the reaction is what happened during the 20s the roaring 20s they they don't want to they don't want to read about you know people say oh the books from the 20s are so boring because they you know they they don't have any real blood they don't show any kind of uh, murder on the page it's all behind the scenes and the reason why is that they just came from one of the most horrible wars up into that time in history and then right after that the spanish flu so imagine what we've just gone through with the pandemic and before that had world war three you know i just it, yeah i mean you you don't want to read it <laughs> the puzzles are much more fun when, you're go when you've gone through all that stuff. Well, I know there's sort of um, a bit of a, a trend right now with the lighter fare and whatnot, um, and I suppose that's fine if, if that satisfies your reading fix. Personally speaking, I, I can't read fluff. Um, you know, I, well, I like... Fluff. Well, but, there is a lot of fluff out there. I'm, I'm oh, I know. fluffy names, but there is a lot... No, I meant back in the day, the ones I'm reading. I know, but we're, we're sort of seeing a resurgence of that a little bit with, with um, content that's being, you know, books, publishers are churning out these books that are, I guess, sort of trying to calm people down from the pandemic. But I don't know, I kind of like something to get my teeth into, you know. Because <laughs> they're usually very psychological. Um some of the books are really psychological because that's one of my favorite things, like yeah. psychological thrillers. That's my. See, my that's go what I mean. To. They're not fluff. These are people who created a psychological thriller. Oh no, I mean, <laughs> I mean other stuff that's not crime related. I just mean the current trend right now in publishing. Oh oh oh! I thought you meant yeah, the mysteries the, today. No, that's the, or, the fluffy trend that's been oh. going on for a while. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Not not crime. Crime's always going strong. I mean, there's just so many great crime writers and books coming out so thank god <laughs> for people like us that want to get you know some thrills th psychological thrills you know yeah I, it's really interesting i it's 
after the pandemic, I read reread all my favorites, and it was like I got into a rut, and that's why I started doing this, you know, trying to find something else, and um, so I, I I actually found a podcast that talks about um, all these other golden age writers. And that's when that's where I got that. And then I started watching TV shows and movies I'd never seen. Mm. So I'm expanding myself, which is always a good thing. <laughs> that is always a good thing, absolutely, yeah. So that's what I've been doing. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm still I'll... working on my writing and doing my shows and all that. But I mean, you gotta you gotta stretch yourself, or you're gonna really get into a depression. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I think I fared pretty well during the pandemic. You know, I, I, I mean, I didn't really notice too much of a lifestyle change for me personally. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. But, um, uh, you know, but the past few months, I've just seems I've been just doing my, my um, the best new true crime story series with, you know, one, you know, finish one book, another book, another book. And, and, um, you know, when it comes to the editing, and when the getting it all delivered and then the copy edits and all the proofing it, this stuff takes up a hell of a lot of time mm-hmm. and I've sort of been in that for quite some time so that kind of got me away from the actual writing because I've got like a novel that I have to keep stopping and um you know and then with the uh shoulder injury that put paid to it but um I'm really looking forward um toward the latter part of this year of getting stuck in again with actual actual writing not editing, but actual writing. Yeah, I mean, editing is not my favorite thing in the world, but writing. No, that's no, it's really hard. I mean, when I do these books, I mean, you're talking about maybe another 15 people other than myself that are writing stories, and um, there's a lot of work editing. You know, oh, it's yeah. not just sitting around and saying, okay, I'll pick that story and that's it, I'll throw it in the book. No, I mean, I'm really hands-on um, with the process, and, um, you know, especially when you're dealing with nonfiction, and then you got to check facts and you know, make sure things are as accurate as you can possibly make them. Um, it, it takes a lot of work. You know, there's no one else doing this job. I'm the one who has to do it. The last time I talked to you, there were some wild stories you were putting into these uh, true crime anthologies. <laughs> well, there's always some wild stories. I mean, crime, true crime is wild. I mean, you can't, you, if you wrote this stuff in fiction, sometimes people would say, oh, I don't, oh, that's ridiculous. But I mean, <laughs> you know, it's what happens in reality that's as, far out as you can get. Well, one of the things I've been learning about reading, I not only have been reading Golden Age fiction, I've been reading about the Golden Age fiction, it's plural, but uh, one thing I've been, all of the great mystery writers of the period, I mean everybody, Agatha Christie, Dorothy Sayers, Anthony Barclay, jo- Josephine Tay, they all took from reality. Every single one of them. They uh, were reading like police blotters and going to trials and um or or uh just scouring newspapers and um all kinds of stuff i mean a lot of the stuff that we know from the classic murder mystery came from real stuff real trials real uh, life 
Uh, well, it makes sense. It's it's perfect fodder for for um, getting ideas. It absolutely makes sense, you know, to take from reality. I mean, I think I think writers in general do draw from reality in some respects. I mean, it might be some something that happened to you or someone you know that you might create a little composite character, and you might not even know it. It could be subconsciously you're entering this information into your content, you know, into your books. But, um, yeah, I mean, for crime, it makes perfect sense to, um, you know, see what's actually going on out there and get an idea and, 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 you know, it'll trigger a plot line or whatever. Well, I mean, there are certain murders like, um, what's his name, Crispin, the murderer that killed his wife and uh, he and his girlfriend left on an ocean cruise and the policeman followed him on a faster uh, steamer and caught him right out of Vancouver and and arrested him as he got off the ship because the captain of the ship that he was he he, he was dressed normally but the girl he had shaved and because he had a mustache and a beard he shaved all that and the girl was dressed as a boy like her like his son but the captain figured it out and he he sent it to Scotland Yard via the new. Woohoo! Telegram, um, <laughs> and that's how Fancy they got him. And but it's like th- there's all kinds of stuff with that case. Like the first real pathologist was uh, um, part of that, and there's all kinds of different things. And if you look at the stuff, even years later, because it was in like. Um, Right after Titanic, so it's like the 1913-1914. But Agatha Christie used him many years later. I mean, they all used it. Uh-huh. It's just, it's just that's one case. I mean, it's really interesting how true crime affects pretty much everybody who writes mysteries. Well, this is really funny that you mention that because uh, with because obviously I'm, I'm going to chat about my new book, but mm-hmm. uh, that's the, the Unsolved Crimes and Mysteries book, which is out now. But there is actually a story in here called The Enduring Mystery of Julia Wallace by uh, crime writer Kathy Pickens. And that is about, that's obviously the real crime story about a, a woman who's found murdered and obviously the husband's the first suspect. But she goes on in the story and discusses how this particular case inspired so many writers, both in in uh, revisiting the story, writing about the story, and even making this almost a form of, of um, uh, intellectual entertainment where people would just get together and constantly dissect this case and try to determine who's, you know, did he do it, did he not do it? So, yeah, it's, this, this is one of those instances of a, a real-life crime story that has uh, inspired many people, and since it was you know, many years ago, it's right kind of timely with what you're talking about. Isn't it weird how you can, it's just, it, it, it just recycles. There's nothing new in the world. Everything just <laughs> blah, blah, It's all blah, been blah. done. That's what they say about art. It's all been done. <laughs> I remember when I went to art school, I was the, 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 the buzz thing. It's all been done. Well, it, it's just like clothes. You know, um, I remember when I was a teenager and the big thing was wearing 1950s uh, jeans that rolled up and uh, oversized <laughs> shirts and the whole thing. And my mom was laughing because she, she lived through that. Um, 
<laughs> and and she says just wait and then and your uh, whatever you love will come back so yes don't throw anything out exactly exactly but you know i tell you there are some fashion periods and music periods that really should stay gone <laughs> yeah i know i know i think the 70s is probably a, the top of the list for please just go away with those clothes actually the 80s with the hair and everything oh the 80s were great it was one of the best musical periods i think no i'm talking about the clothes and makeup. oh i know but i know but that all followed suit the, the music and the clothes all sort of was hand in hand yeah i know but the clothes and the hair and the over makeup. Oh God! Yeah, yeah. Oh I, well. I never <laughs> realized it until later that some of my favorite stars were wearing, you know, because if you see like somebody like Stephanie Powers now, even though she's in her uh, late seventies, she looks beautiful. She and she hardly wears makeup. But during the eighties, she had more makeup on her face <laughs> than. And and she was beautiful. She never needed makeup. It was just the it way. It was just the trend. It yeah. Was just the style, I guess. You know. Yeah. You just sort of plaster it on. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> we go through. <laughs> um, I was I was thinking one of my friends and also a, a guest on my show. Her name is Catherine Kovacic. Kovacic. I can't ever say her name. Sorry, Catherine. <laughs> Uh, I try my best. Anyway, she wrote this really interesting book about a girl who was killed. It's an, She's from Australia, and it happened in Australia. It's an unsolved murder, and it's called The Portrait of Molly Dean. And Molly Dean was this young girl in the 1920s who wanted to be a writer, and her boyfriend was an artist. And she was uh, trying to break away from a horrible mother and uh, who was trying to get her to marry this really horrible man. And uh, she, she got killed uh, coming home from the theater. And because she was a modern, you know, with the hair and the clothes and everything, they said she was a terrible girl and that she was a, a loose girl and she probably got what uh -huh. she deserved. But when you read about her as a modern person, you're going, she was terrific. She wanted to be a writer. She was doing all the stuff to become. A, she was. She had already been published. Her poems had been published. She was. She was uh, taking reporting uh, jobs to uh you know to get to figure out a way to earn money so she could leave her teaching job so she she was an amazing woman and they were tearing her apart in the newspapers well that's actually a very prevalent theme in my new book there's a number of stories about uh women and young girls uh who were either murdered or you know found murdered and and somehow they, they were made to be painted as if perhaps they brought it on themselves uh, and, uh, you know, this is just something that unfortunately is, you know, when it's women, that's that's what they do. You don't see this happening with men. But it's like, well, why were you out, you know, partying? So you brought it on yourself. Or, you know, someone who's, a, say, a bohemian type at the early part of the 20th century that, you know, broke the mold. And it's like, well, she was, you know a free spirit type and so she maybe brought it on herself you know we're just victim blaming which which seems to be so prevalent with women when they're the victims it was it was just disgusting because like i said i thought she was amazing and terrific 
Oh, well, in, in today's eyes, we, we can look back at some of these people and definitely say that. But, but again, when, when you look at the particular time, it's just, uh, you know, women have to be a certain, uh, you know, way. And if you try to de- diverge from that, people didn't like it. Us didn't like it. Um, and so that's just the way it was. And I don't know. I mean, it still exists. <laughs> I mean, it's better, but it does still exist. Oh yeah. I just hope we're not going to go backward. We are going backward, but that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, and we don't want to talk about them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, it's 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 just really. And then there's some people who use it. There is another story I um, I read where this girl, uh, she uh, she was a a maid. Or, um, or something like that. She worked in a house, and she was gone for a month, and she said she was kidnapped. So this girl is really, like, calm and really pretty, and she has this real demeanor of sweetness. And so she actually got a mother and daughter convicted of the kidnapping. And so... They found out later it was all a lie. She had just she was trying to get out of trouble and she made it all up. Uh. And um, the poor people were in jail because she made it up. And they could have got one of them could have gotten hanged because she was sentenced to it. But it was all you know because she fit the the mode of that period sweet and gentle with the blonde curls, the little curlets and all this stuff and the big eyes and the sweet gentle voice and just you know, she's just such a sweet girl and all this um, and they all fell for it well I mean we still have cases of of accusations that are being made that are not true and uh, you know, I, I I don't know. It's a really it's a hard situation, you know, because I mean, you we know there are people who have been sentenced for crimes they didn't commit, and then on the other hand, you got people who get off because no one believed the victim, or there just supposedly wasn't a good enough case. I don't know. How do you, how do you win? You know. <laughs> well, the police also didn't do very good investigating uh, in, yeah, this, well, that in the case that I was talking about because they just believed her. And yeah. and it's funny because they said the neighbors who were um, it was like a boarding house that uh-huh. that she was working at and they, the neighbors were saying well that sounds like this per- people's house about uh, two miles from here she goes yeah yeah that's it you know <laughs> and they have an ad yeah yeah that was where I was you know um, it, it it was all made up from what people were feeding her. Uh-huh. If the police had really listened to her story and had investigated, those two poor women would never have suffered what they suffered. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there, there are cases like that. I mean, that's it's, it's unfortunate. No, I'm just saying that it's, there's two sides of the thing. There's this poor woman Molly Dodd who's murdered and then blamed for her murder, and then there's this girl is trying to get out of trouble and blames other people and almost got one of them killed. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it, there's this balance. It's, it's sad that there's someone who, you know, that people are are so um, 
I was sociopathic and psychopathic that they don't care who suffers for their lies. I mean, you know, she probably wouldn't have blinked if that woman would have been uh, put to death for a crime she hadn't committed, right? Right. Right. I don't think so. She's actually, they said that she's a Madame Tussauds now. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't She's think, arrived. Yes. Um, she went, she actually went to jail <laughs> for what she well, did. Well, that's good. Yeah. But I mean, still caused a hell of a ruckus on the way there. <laughs> yeah, well, she, like I said, she almost got this woman hung. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and Broadmoor is not a nice place to no, be, no. <laughs> uh, you know, um, you know, for innocent people. No, To be stuck in Broadmoor not. prison, it just, the whole idea of it, it makes me ill. But, but you know, that's what, I'm just saying that there are, there are people that there, what do they call it? Um, victim baiting that they tear people apart that are the victim, but then uh -huh. there's the people that are the victim who wasn't a victim. So like I, that's what I was trying to say. There's this weird dichotomy there. Well, also in the past too, and and you know some of these stories in my book are also reflective of that of uh, of the media portrayal of the victims. And uh, I mean, it's some of it's pretty heinous. Yeah. Yeah, and this is totally off topic, but I remember, um, I don't know if you know who he was, Errol Flynn. Well, yeah, everybody, Errol Flynn, of course. The movie star. Yeah, yeah, swashbuckler. Yeah. He, he, he was charged with, um, what do you call it, when you rape a minor? Statutory rape, right. yeah, I was going to say that. I was pretty sure that was coming to my mind as um, affiliated with him. And, but the thing was, uh, in our day, they were just, the girl he was supposedly raped, which it was mutual sex, um, I mean, she was, she was on him, so it wasn't like, but, but she was like 20 years old. She was oh. just, be, uh, the other girl was 19, but he didn't have sex with her, this, but this girl that he did have sex with, 20. But, but 20, 20 sounds too old for statutory rape. No, you have to be, under, at that time, if you were under oh, 21, 21, you okay. were a minor. Okay. And, um, but the thing is he, that the not just him, but other things I read, the lawyers made them dress like they were 15, both oh, of them. yeah, I can see that. You know, and, mm -hmm. and that's why he got convicted. Uh, the sentence was... I forgot what they call it, but he didn't have to serve time in jail. It was like probation. Uh-huh. But it still ruined a lot. I mean, I mean, he still worked because he was Errol Flynn. But it, it still ruined a lot of his life. I mean, he got divorced because of it. There's a lot of Yo, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think he lost dual, uh, custody of his kids because of it. So he could only have visitation with somebody with him and stuff like that. It really... Wow. You know, and, and because he's a movie star, like they said, he could get away with stuff, but this was something that was put on him. Well, there are cases of people being set up like that, you know. I mean, um, yeah, there definitely are, so that's just... I mean, and, you know, people people are not all 
always very nice. No, and I mean, he did like young women, so don't get me wrong. He did. No, do, no, I know, I know, I know. He did do stuff that wasn't very nice, but the case that got, he got tried for, that was not real. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he actually said to somebody, and so th this is one of the reasons it worked that he got into trouble, was uh, he was outside uh, Beverly Hills High or Hollywood High, and he saw a bunch of uh, seniors coming out, and he said, <laughs> look at all that he was, lovely. <laughs> he was perving on them, essentially. Well, he didn't do anything. He just was sitting know, with, in the car with a girl, but he was enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear but I mean here was a witness he wasn't going to do that with another guy there um, yeah but I'm just saying he was known for that that's why he could get set up for it um, yeah yeah they they knew with whom they were dealing there mm -hmm. wasn't too far to go and push it no no but it's so strange that he got away with it with all these young girls it, it was oh he never hurt anybody. He never did anything like that. It was always mutual. But the one time he didn't do anything, that's when he got tried and convicted. <laughs> that's so, such an irony there. I know. It, it, I um, I admire him as an actor. I don't admire that. Um, <laughs> well, a lot of those guys were up to a lot of things in those days, yeah. Yeah. He was a really good actor, though. I mean, you can't take away from his talent. <laughs> but, you know, he deserved to get for other of those things, but not the one he got. I don't know. It's just ironic and weird. <laughs> got him on something, right? Yeah, but it wasn't <laughs> well, you real. you didn't do this one, but we know you did other stuff, so at least we finally got you. Yeah. You know, if, if they really wanted to, there were so many cases they could have gotten him that was real. That's what's really sad. Well, I think we see we see instances of that, and you know, with people that it, sometimes it's like, well, we know they did all this other stuff, so let's just stitch them up for this one. Yeah, and there, I mean, there's some men who deserve to get something really bad like that. Um, what's Weinstein? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he deserved to get everything he got. Yeah, a whole coterie of them. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. actually traversing into my next book that's coming out in February, which is too soon to talk about, but it's Crimes of the Famous and Infamous, uh, Crimes of Famous and Infamous Criminals. <laughs> so it's sort of like... Oh, I'm sorry. I, I just... My yeah, no, I'm, I know it was sort of random that you started talking about Errol Flynn because I'm currently just finishing the last um, proofing um, to deliver it for um, going to print. And it's like, well, this is, I don't want to start talking about that yet. <laughs> You'll have to have me back on. <laughs> and just um, recently I uh, read a biography of him. And they were talking about it, and they were trying to be really fair, and they were, you know, explaining, you know, he he did do bad, but not on this one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's why I, I brought that up. But you know, it just it that's I, I didn't mean to mess up your. No, that's so, it's just so funny that you started because it was like I'm starting to think of all these stories in that next book, and I'm thinking, well, I'm supposed to be talking about the current book, so. <laughs>
But if anyone is interested, they can pre-order that one about the uh, the best new true crime stories, crimes of famous and infamous criminals. It's pre-order, so so we've teased you now. Well, the first one was perfect for the book, The Unsolved Murder, Molly Dean. Yeah, well, I don't have that one in the in there. Coincidentally, it's not in here, but I've got I've got plenty of other good ones. I it, I think it's really interesting that something that in the country of origin it's really famous, which is mm-hmm. Australia. But well, that's what I like to do too, is to get in things from other parts, you know, a broad range of stories from around the world, not just uh, you know uh, American stories, because you know if the book's published in with an American publisher, you're going to assume that well it's going to be American focused, and I'm not like that, and I don't like to do that. I'm international in my in my thinking and so that's what i like to do is is have a great mix of stuff from all over the world and cases that maybe you know you you never have heard of and you know that's the whole fun of it really if you can call it if you can call it stimulating and exciting and interesting and fascinating that's you want to give people stuff that isn't just from their backyard so to speak yeah it was um when i I just, uh, when she was, I was interviewing her about that book, I just kind of glommed on to this, because she was talking about two books. But that one, it was set in the 20s, a girl that I can really admire, and and uh, that she was, her, and everything that happened to her, but I never heard of it. Uh-huh. But it's weird because... I have heard of a lot of stuff that happened in other countries, Canada, uh, Britain, uh, France, you know, but I don't know why, but in the, I know they're on the other side of the world, but the way the global world is, you would think you'd hear of it. Well, you know, I'll, t- I'll be honest with you, I'm, uh, pretty much all the books in my series have Australian stories and Australian writers, but it is really strange that those in the Northern Hemisphere seem to really be very far removed from anything going on in the Southern Hemisphere. It's just, I, except for perhaps Britain, and that's only because Australia is, you know, a former colony and whatnot, but uh, it does seem like um, we're kind of in our own little thing up here and we're not really aware of what's going on down under you know just typically we're not i have so many friends there <laughs> teddy's got tons of friends in oz in australia and new zealand uh-huh. yeah no lots of I bears do. down there and some really nice dogs that he knows if i can ever get my arm working again i'd really like to <laughs> i'd really like to just go down there and stay for an ind- indeterminate period of time teddy teddy wants to go to tasmania and i'm kind of one of my favorite people was, is from there, S.C. Davis. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, also, I guess because I read a lot of books from Australia, so that also has an effect. Yeah, uh, I try to I try to incorporate uh, Australian writers in my in my uh, list. So yeah, I yeah. enjoy books set down there as well. Uh, it's fictional stories, but there's a new book that's. Uh, first time ever a cooperative of short stories between Australian and New Zealand authors. Oh, cool. And I just, I thought that was really very interesting because they're right next to each other. Uh Uh, 
Well, they are, but you know, there's still, you know, it's still a lot of space in between there. You know, I mean, it's it, everything's very far apart. Um, I've been watch, I watch a lot of Australian films as well. I, I they mm-hmm. do some excellent oh, yeah. films. Films and TV shows, I like both. Yeah, but especially they get a lot of funding from the government for a lot of the films that mm-hmm. I watch, uh, and uh, there's some very good films. I forgot what they call it. There's a name for that fund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then sometimes they'll be like these states might have their own fund as well. So. <laughs> yeah, Victoria is really busy, especially like the Melbourne area. They ha- they have they they're that's their Hollywood. <laughs> That is, they're very busy. Um, yeah, because they have uh, real uh, industry of TV and film. It, what, apparently, from what I've read, it's always been a very artistic area, Melbourne. So it kind of makes sense that that's where the film industry would kind of settle, right in the artistic. Well, area. also, it's cheaper probably to film there than it is in Sydney. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's like in the United States, it's cheaper to go film up in Vancouver, B.C. than it is to film in many parts, of, you know, especially in Hollywood. It's like everyone goes to Vancouver, everyone's up there filming. Yeah, and if you watch, like, British shows, they're never in London. They're always, like, in other areas that look like London in England. Uh, well, I think mean, yeah, a lot of everything. Everything that seems to be filmed in London is always one of those gritty crime things that's filmed in, like you know, on the council estates in the East End or South London. <laughs> well, I was thinking of Doctor Who. Doctor Who's done in Wales oh. and it's done in Cornwall um, okay. and <laughs> it's like not anywhere near. London, although there's things yeah. that were supposed to be in London, but they weren't. They were in those areas that they were already shooting. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's kind of par for the course with TV and film, where they say they're in a city, and then suddenly you'll see something, and you're like, hey, I've been to that city. That doesn't exist there. <laughs> well, it's always been like that. I, re- I That's worked, always funny. I worked at Universal Studios, and so whenever I see something like a murder she wrote, and they're at the Sheraton Universal or the Hilton Universal, and they're supposed to be in Leningrad or in... I used to stay at the Sheraton Universal back in the day before I moved to L.A. That was my place that I always stayed. I actually, I went, I worked out at the gym there, because <laughs> I, I oh, lived near, funny. I lived very close, and I used to... Well, I did too. I lived like two minutes away from there as well after I moved there, but that's just such a funny, small world. Really. I know. And so... But I also worked there. I was I worked on the tour. <laughs> I worked as an actress there, and so I knew that. I knew that. I knew both sides of the studio. I knew the tourist side and I knew the working side. And every yeah. time I saw something, I'm like, okay, yeah, right. Or my favorite one was the murder she wrote, where the psycho house was supposed and and hotel and motel were supposed to, you, you the their facades. Which means that it's only one side. You only see the yeah. front. There is no uh, motel, and there is no house. I mean, they're just facades. But in yeah, the murder yeah. she wrote, so there's all these people who saw it that think that you can walk into the house and that you can walk into the motel. It's the magic of Hollywood. I thought it was hilarious. I'm like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm watching it when it first came out in the '90s, and I'm saying to my mom, I, 
you do know that this is a facade. You drove by it um, when we were at Universal. <laughs> you saw that the back was not there. <laughs> yeah, that is funny, though. I, I, I guess it's, it's sort of, I suppose, a shock. You know, people expect some of these places to actually exist, and they don't. I just I, I, When I see things like that, it makes me laugh. <laughs> Um, especially that, or the house that was on fire all the time on the tour. They used that a couple of times as a real house that really had a whole yeah, house. Yeah, how many times can you burn the house down, right? Yeah. I mean, that's part of the tour. You drive by, yeah. and the front is supposed to be on fire, and you go back, you see all the metal stuff that because of... <laughs> I'm ashamed to say I took that tour when, it, when I was a teenager. <laughs> I felt like a boob. I'm totally idiot. Like, what am I doing? Why? There's everybody took that tour. <laughs> oh, I just felt so stupid. I just really did. I mean, I'm like, why am I here? <laughs> I think it was just, I don't know. I guess because everybody was so touristy, and they, maybe they were like from, the, God knows where these people were from. But I think my, I, I was just not as um, enthralled. Let's just say that. <laughs> I just, I worked in, uh, I worked. First, I was working in the parking lot, and then I worked in crowd control. You've really made the rounds at that joint. <laughs> yeah. First, I worked in the parking lot, then I worked in crowd control, and then I got promoted, and I was working in the bionic testing center, which tells you when I was there. Uh, $6 million man, bionic woman. I was a teenager. It was my first job. Oh, funny. Yeah, I was still in high that's school. A, that's, a, that's a cool job for a teenager, I think. It was fun. Yeah. I loved it. Are you kidding? Yeah. More, I, interesting, more interesting than McDonald's, I, right? I used to walk across the way to the Lucille Ball dressing room, which was never Lucille Ball's dressing room, but it was really cool <laughs> because they had real clothes from the show. I love Lucy. That's funny. I mean, I knew that. I mean, even when I was a kid, I knew that uh, it was uh, at Desi Lu. I knew, and then that became Paramount. And I was, yeah. I knew that from a child. But I remember going in there and still loving it because they had the clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that stuff's part of history, you know, film and television history now. Yeah. Well, to me, is like, I mean, I felt they weren't faking people out. It was more like a museum. Uh-huh. It was it was a museum a tribute to Lucille Ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun when I worked there. Um, that's why whenever they uh, go, like a Columbo was shot at the MCA building, uh, and I, I was like, oh, my God, I know exactly where that is. That's the lobby. There's no restaurant there. They made that up. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. That is really funny. I didn't know that. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of some of the older shows, and Columbo is always fun. But so the MCA building, that the tall, dark building, that's right. That's that's the one with the, the record company one. That's where they shot in the lobby. They shot in the lobby. It's it's actually MCA is an agency. They were agents, but Lou Wasserman became the head of Universal. So they, uh, the MCA building was created there, so it would be both the agency 
and they basically were all the office uh, rooms were for Universal. So if you want to drop off a picture, <clears throat> which is why I but was... But it used to be a record company. I thought it was a record company, MCA Records. It, it Well, that was one of the many holdings of them. Oh, that was one of the things. Okay, <laughs> okay. I've never, I never went to the building. I mean, I used to see it all the time, and I never actually had any business going in. Now, you're not thinking of RCA. RCA is in Hollywood. No, MCA. MCA is the black glass building that's right in front of Universal. That's the one I mean, yeah. 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 They shot in the lobby of that for Columbo where he was supposed to have breakfast, and he was, uh, <laughs> and I'm watching it, and it, that's right in front of the elevators. There's there's no place to have, you know, it's like, it's just this <laughs> big, empty area. Yeah. I always think it's funny when you notice things like that. Well, especially if it's some place you've been and you can actually recognize the set and then you see, well, there's no restaurant there or that doesn't exist. I mean, there is actually a restaurant around the corner. It's the uh, where the actors and people who work there go, um, which I can't think of. The, the commissary? Name. Yeah, the commissary. Sorry, aged. Um, <laughs> that's right around the corner. And they have used that on shows. But not that one. I've <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, only been in the commissary at Warner Brothers in Burbank. Yes, Warner Brothers is in Burbank, right? Yeah, it's Burbank yeah, Studios yeah. now. It was Warner Brothers, yeah. and then it was Burbank, and then it was Warner Brothers, and now it's Burbank again. Yeah, yeah there was a friend of mine was working there, and I was in town from the UK, so I met her there for lunch. And there was this woman that, um, I don't know her name, um, she's an actor, and she's done tons and tons of TV. She always plays a cop. And damned if she wasn't at the next table, I'm like, there she is again. <laughs> Woman is like working 24-7 as cops. It's really funny you mentioned that because um, my dad had a lot of friends that were in show business. And one of the people he was very good friends with was the chef for Warner Brothers Commissary. <laughs> good friend to have. Yeah. And so um, I, I've i been there once, but my mom was there with a bunch of ladies from some group she was with, and uh, that the wife of the man who was the chef was with them, with the group. And But my mom, this is what my mom always remembered, Michael Caine and Maggie Smith came in the restaurant from doing California Suite in the robes oh. that they wore in the famous scene in their room when they're having the fight. Wow. And my mom goes, Those people, so that, those are two amazing actors. She said, all oh, that red hair. <laughs> yeah, that, that would have been something to see. She she remembered that the rest of her life. That, that was, I bet, I anyway. bet, yeah. Yeah. And she said the other person, and this is what I got excited. Oh, I wish I wasn't in school that day. Um, <laughs> Desi Arnaz came in. He was shooting his series, and she goes, and I saw Desi Arnaz. What? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really cool about Michael Caine and Maggie Smith, and I would have loved to have seen them in person too. But Desi Arnaz, I mean, I was a kid, so that was like, oh my God, you saw Desi Arnaz. <laughs> Lucy. No, this is the junior. This is the son. Oh, junior. I was thinking, I was like, I don't 
if I get so excited about Desi Dottie Desi. Well, Desi, Desi Senior was cute too, but Desi Arnaz Junior. <laughs> calm down, Sherry. Calm down. Yeah, I know. He uh, he's he actually aged like his dad. I know exactly what he looks like now. He's still handsome, but he doesn't look like he did when he was in his twenties. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm who sure. does? <laughs> Depends on your plastic surgeon. <laughs> but yeah, so I, that was when I got really excited. And she's like, "I'm sorry, honey. You know, I was a senior in high school." And she says, "You're not going to miss class for that." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. But yeah, but I just on the I, I never forget her dreamy face seeing Michael Caine and Maggie Smith. It was so sweet. Um, okay, so it's time for you to talk about your book. I mean, we've kind of given little diddles about it, but now you get to do the whole schmear. Be the schmear. Oh, the goodness. schmear. The blood schmear. No, okay. No, no. Well. No, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, this just came out in September, um, and it's the best new true crime stories, unsolved crimes and mysteries. And this is actually the sixth book in my series. So if you haven't caught up yet, you need to catch up because each one's a different theme, and uh, they're all—I think they're all good books. <laughs> if I can say so, but I—I I think they are. I don't. If I work so hard on something, I want it to be as good as it can be. Of course. Um, yeah, absolutely. And um, obviously, the title "Unsolved Crimes and Mysteries" is basically uh, what we're dealing with here. Uh, we have cold cases from around the world, um, different time frames, different historical time frames, and uh, there, you know, we have murder stories, of course, people murdered, we have uh, heists, uh, people that have just disappeared, we don't know what happened to them, uh, we have uh, cases of, say, um, someone that was convicted of a murder and then escaped, and it seems like the person didn't really do it and was set up but had to flee because no one was going to believe him. Uh, we've got uh, people who just, uh, like I said, that disappear. We have uh, murdered women, like just uh, decades of murdered women. In this particular case, uh, indigenous uh, uh, First Nations women in Canada. Uh, an actor, a famous actor, whose death is very strange because um, it's assumed that maybe he was actually killed, but there's no evidence to show that there was anything that happened that uh, indicates that his his story that he was attacked. So there's the Hollywood one in here. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that should, that should get you excited. Um, we've got uh, a, a mob one, a, a disappearance uh, of someone that um, the likelihood is obviously he's dead, but uh, no one's ever been convicted despite the fact there's like neon signs pointing at who's responsible for it. God. Yeah, so um, all kinds of, we, all across the globe. I mean, um, I'll, I'll just mention we've got, um, we've, we're in Canada, the United States, Britain, Italy, Austria, France, um, Canada, I said Canada, uh, Wales, uh, uh, former, uh, uh, what's now Germany, it wasn't Germany back then, um, so yeah, we're, we're all over the place. Lots of traveling. That sounds really cool. 
Is yeah, there... I mean, it was great to put it together because, I mean, cold cases is just such a popular thing, you know. Um, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if it just appeals to people's, uh, just they, they would love to be able to solve it if, like, sort of closet detectives or whatnot, but um, just having a story that's got no resolution, I mean, you know, that is just such a frustrating thing for, for, for these uh, families of victims or the victims who may have survived. Um, and, you know, who knows? I mean, some of the stories in this book are still uh, contemporary enough that it's always possible they could be solved. Um, it would be nice if it happens. I mean, you know, it's just such a painful thing for victims when and victims' families when there is no resolution. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a really fun. It's, it's a good book. Uh, it's fascinating. Uh, as I said, it's all over the spectrum as far as the crimes. So it's not just all murder. Um, I mean, there's plenty of murder, but it isn't entirely all murder. Now, that's one thing um, that, like, the crimes that are unsolved, the families that never get resolution, that die before they get resolution. And yeah, yeah. Well, there's one in here, too, where it's as if, you know, that the files are still closed and we're going on almost 100 years, and it's like they're keeping this stuff closed. Like, well, it's, you know, it's still open, so we can't release the information kind of thing. And it's like, well, for God's sake, everyone's going to be dead already, so what's the point? You know, it's just kind of almost, it's so frustrating, uh, this particular one about a, mis a murdered child in Wales, that um, things are still being kept from the public, you know, public consumption that it's supposedly an ongoing case but it's really not it's really not an ongoing case after almost 100 years um but i got some there's some familiar faces in here you know um some people uh people uh, will recognize from previous books uh dean job is in the book uh he's a very very popular uh best-selling true crime writer from canada uh, uh joan renner who is a very uh uh really into historical true crime. She's out of Los Angeles, and uh, she loves to write about Hollywood and Los Angeles cases. Uh, we've got Kathy Pickens, um, who's been in books before of mine, uh, who's a, a, true, a, a crime writer from the States. Uh, we've got uh, David Breakspear, who's, who's been on with me in another book. Uh, he's in the UK, and he loves his mob stories. So that's sort of his thing. Uh, Anya Wassenberg, who's a culture writer from, from Canada. Lindsay Danis, uh, who's a uh, uh, queer writer from the States. So there's, yeah, it's got a really interesting assortment of people. Uh, as I said, when you, when you have so many different writers, they speak in their own voice and tell their own stories in their own way. So it, you get a lot of bang for the buck, you know, because you've got all these different ways of telling a, a story and all these different voices speaking as opposed to just being, you know, one long-form piece by one particular writer. I know it's kind of interesting, though, because I, when you were talking, I was thinking, like, like the poor family from the Black Dahlia, her, her mother, her sister, all the people that never found out what happened to her. Yeah. Well, that's actually referenced in this because there's a, uh, a, a sort of a parallel uh, disappearance that um, happened right around the same time in Hollywood. That's the piece Joan Renner did, uh, and it was about a bit bit actress, uh, and uh, it was around the time of the Black Dahlia. So, so, so that's discussed in a little bit of detail, but more so about this story about the missing actress that 
God knows, you know, there's so many. You'll like this one as well because there's lots of Hollywood connections and famous people that are sort of connected in some tertiary way. And then you kind of wonder, like, hmm, maybe they were connected in a, a, a larger way than we than, than, than is thought, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I, I'm not talking about that Black Dahlia is in your book. I'm just saying that the Black Dahlia case, is one that there's been so many books on. Exactly. I know, I know. That's and I have the solution, and you, you know, know they never do. It, okay. You've got it solved. Yeah. It's like, that's what you hear from all these, I, I know who killed her. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny, there are some, some cases like that, that just sort of, um, just people get their hooks into that become this larger than life case, and everyone's writing about it, everyone tells you know, books about it, stories about it, theories about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's really like the Julia Wallace murder in uh, in the book about all these people, golden age writers, that everyone had their theory and and these intellectual exercises about who did it. Um, it's, it's weird how some of these cases just sort of um, hook people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is really weird. Um, it's interesting because we were talking earlier, one of the my new pastimes is reading a lot of Golden Age fiction and how all the famous people like Dorothy Sayers and Agatha Christie and Anthony Barclay and Josephine Tay and all these people, a lot of their books are from real life cases. And so that, that you have a lot of uh, people that are writing this from the, the the stuff that's happening, you can bet that one of the people, the the people who buy your book, are mystery writers. <laughs> Wait, well, yeah, sure, it's it's possible, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I don't know if this is sort of going off on a tangent, but um, it's it's something that's been on my mind because, as you know, with true crime being so hot right now, everyone's trying to churn out true crime content, um, and that's also a uh, it's the case with a lot of TV and miniseries, and and um, every time I see something that is supposedly a an actual story, a real a real life story, and then they have all this stuff about this, this has been dramatized for this, or this content has been added for dramatization, and I kind of think, you know, how much liberty should we be taking with with nonfiction real life stories? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would feel personally speaking, and I'm not trying to grab anyone the wrong way that loves doing true crime and adding in a lot of stuff that isn't really factual, but um, I think it would be better to just be inspired by a story and write a new story that is inspired by a real story, as opposed to taking something that is true, and these people are real, and adding things in there, and then by the time it's finished, the reader or the viewer has no idea what the hell's true and what isn't. I just feel that there's a liberty that's been taken and it's gone too far. But that's happened for years, and it's before like TV the, and the, movies and all that. It was written I know, in books. I know, like these, the ones about the royal family, these these so-called you know true stories about the royal family, and then you wonder what fifty percent of this didn't happen or wasn't you know factual. It's kind of rewriting history. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's really an ethical thing to do. Actually. I 
<laughs> I'm going to go back to the Golden Age writing again. <laughs> uh, Josephine Kay wrote this really famous book called Daughter of Time, and I read it. And what it's about is the inspector gets, he falls through a trap door in a theater, and he breaks his leg and his shoulder, and he's like, basically what we would call traction. He's laying uh -huh. in bed, bored out of his mind. <laughs> I mean, really bored. I can imagine, yeah. And um, so all his friends brought him novels, and he just wasn't, he didn't really like the novels that they brought him. And um, one of his, uh, an actress friend, he's very famous for faces. He can look at a face and, and get an idea of what kind of a person they are. So she went to, I think, the British Museum and got a bunch of portraits, uh, like in cards, like very small. And on the front, you just see the portrait. And if you turn it on the back, you see who the person is. So he was looking at the portraits. And one of them was, she, he, he was looking at them and thinking about what he thought of them before he turned it over. And one of the pictures, he was like, hmm, that guy kind of looks like a judge or a magistrate. <laughs> but there's so much pain in his face, so he hasn't had a very good life. And he did all, and he turns it around, and it's Richard III. Uh-huh. And the rest of the book is him trying to figure out why he would think one way when this is the guy who killed two kids. Uh -huh. Famous for it, right? But the whole book is, and it's a very controversial book even today, the whole book is him trying to find contemporary people, uh, um, contem contemporary uh, articles and, and, and things like that. Because most of the stuff we have are from the Tudors, Henry Tudor and um, Henry VIII and people, and of course Elizabeth because Shakespeare wrote the famous play. Um, so it's all the Tudors. They have a kind of a stake in it because the Tudors took over from them and <laughs> it's a big deal. And so the whole book is about that. And it's really very interesting how it's it, that's what it's all about what you were saying how uh the tutors will just change it to be what they wanted it to be <laughs> yeah well yeah, well I, I that's sort of a par for the course it's sort of like politicians yeah well i mean that goes back to ancient <laughs> Rewriting egypt things to fit their own um agendas and yeah that goes back to ancient egypt they used to uh chisel out hieroglyphics and put their own hieroglyphics uh, onto the hieroglyphics. I mean, Ramses was famous. Ramses the second was famous for just chiseling out anybody he felt like and putting his own thing up there. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, well, it, you it's, know, it's I always suppose, like that. You know, like I said, it's, it's uh, everyone might have a different opinion on on it. It's, but I've just seen so much of it, and I know there. You know, some of the stuff is it's really well written, well well done, engaging and whatnot. But but it just leaves me at the end. Uh, if I'm not an actual historian, and then it makes me think, well, this may have given me some impression that isn't true about history. And I just um, yeah, I I just 
find it kind of concerning and disturbing. Yeah, there's so many great ideas, like you were saying about people going, crime writers going and looking at police blotters and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, and taking inspiration from real cases and writing a fictionalized piece that's inspired by something. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel, personally speaking as a writer, that is something I would be a lot more comfortable doing as opposed to taking an actual case and a real true crime case and and throwing in bits and pieces to make it more of an exciting read i i don't know i'm not i don't want to do that yeah i mean agatha christie and murder on the Orient express was a real case everybody knows that that was a real case it was the daisy armstrong was actually the Lindbergh baby she just changed the facts well but that's the thing though she didn't try to sell it as an actual uh a non-fiction piece of what oh, happened. No, no, that's, no, it's absolutely that's, that's fiction. Yeah, that's 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 where you've got like a two different, you know, two sides of that coin. Is you know, when when you can certainly fictionalize something and change names and just say it's been inspired by a real case, and th- that's fine if you say it's been inspired. But but when it's saying when it's portraying itself as the actual, you know, documented historical information, and then it's half the stuff's been invented i don't know yeah i understand where you're coming from yeah but i just i i I always i did not know that when i first read murder on the orient express i had no idea but i saw the similarities in it um but i didn't really think that i didn't but why would she bother doing that because she's such a brilliant writer and then i read later oh in her autobiography she talked about it yeah, <laughs> but she didn't. Uh, she didn't do publicity that way. It wasn't like well, no, because she 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 was inspired by it. She 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 took some ideas from a real life case and she created an, a new piece of of entertainment, a new piece of writing, and that's I think that's perfectly fine. But but if she would have gone and put all the real names in there and made out like this is exactly what happened, and and you know seventy percent of it is made up. <laughs> Sort of like what they did to her with the, her disappearance. Which oh, was, yeah. What yeah. they did to her is just wrong, completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, well. Maybe one day they'll be writing stories about us and throwing things in and making our lives more exciting than they were. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think so. But okay. Uh, I don't have an exciting life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my, 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 my fractured shoulder will be a lot more of an exciting story than the reality behind it. You know, well, be like, I was chasing a criminal down the street trying to, you know, get information for my next book. You know? Now that's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Actually, someone asked me something like, someone was teasing me, said, we we're chasing some criminal to write about. I'm like, yeah. It was, I was watching um, an interview on Acorn with three detectives from the mystery shows, and one of the detectives, she said, one of the, detec- one of the actors, she said, her the character of her mother chased a criminal down the street who had a gun and she didn't have anything and she's just chased she says in real life i would never chase someone who had a gun yeah not, not unless you had a bigger run <laughs> i when you said that it made me think of it. yeah that's true i wouldn't chase anybody who had a gun a knife or anything that could yeah, hurt I'm me i'm too lazy to do that i'm sorry i don't need i don't need the information that badly yeah exactly <laughs> forget it but when you said that, it made me think of it right away. I went, oh, because I just saw it. I mean, just just like before we started the interview. <laughs> well, also in T 
TV shows and movies, have you ever noticed that when they run out of ammunition, they always throw the gun? I always thought that was uh, Yes, stupid. I always notice that. I think it's a very stupid thing to do, and I'm always, like, yelling at them, why did you throw the gun? Keep yeah. it. You might find some more bullets or get some more bullets. How stupid. That gun's expensive. Yeah, but that's the bad guy. You'd want him to lose. <laughs> well, I know, but it's just not practical. I know. I always thought it was, I, and it was, like, it doesn't matter where, what country of origin. It's like they learned it from each other, and they all do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, at each other. It's like they try to hit the person with the gun, and all the person has to do is just move a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, you know, what an idiot you are. Just keep running. Why are you just stop to throw the gun? Drop yeah. the gun and run, but throw the gun? I don't know. I, yeah, I guess it just is something to do. They don't want to keep carrying the prop around. But if they dropped it, it would make more sense than throwing it at the detective. <laughs> yeah, it's not as dramatic. It doesn't make a statement. It's less stupid. I know that, but maybe maybe people are suckers enough that they don't think it's stupid. Maybe we're the only ones who think it's stupid. <clears throat> I guess. This is really funny. <laughs> um, I hate to transition this way, but we're at the end of the show. So I wanted you to give all the particulars on how to get your book and your website and any of your social media. Sure. Well, uh, the new book is The Best New True Crime Stories, Unsolved Crimes and Mysteries, uh, currently available worldwide in print and ebooks, so you can get it at Amazon or any place you would like to get it. Uh, independent booksellers appreciate your business as well, so it doesn't always have to be Amazon. Um, uh, my website is uh, mitzicerreto.com, M-I-T-Z-I-S-Z-E-R-E-T-O.com, and I have all my books listed there, and people can find out um, whatever looks interesting to them, and there's some handy buy links. Um, and I am on all the usual haunts of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I went to the dark side, and I'm now on TikTok, so you can find me there as well. Um, and I don't know if I've left anything out. I've got a YouTube channel. I've actually got a couple of them. And uh, so I'm all over the place. You can't you can't not find me. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time out of the day from being on my little show. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for having me back. Maybe I'll see you next year with a new book. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear about it. Thank you. Yeah, you'll like that one. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you for chatting with Sherry. Thank <laughs> you.